Hello, my name is Bob Bamber, and welcome to the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. We're going back in the time machine to August of 1995 for Volume 3 of this month's show. Volume 1 looks at all things WWF, including, well, predominantly SummerSlam. Uh, volume 2 is WCW, including Ch- Clash of the Champions 31, and a discussion of uh, their preparations ahead of the debut of WCW Monday Nitro next month. And we also have a Volume 4 this month. Uh, that's already out. Uh, if, you, if you're a subscriber on our on our iTunes feed, you would have picked that up uh, about two or three weeks ago. Uh, that's myself, Stuart Brooks, and uh, Chris White looking at the New Japan slash sort of WCW show in Korea. We're reviewing that as a as a special, so that's volume four. This is volume three. <clears throat> you have to excuse me, I've got a sore throat. I'm not going to be on the show for very long. Um, this will predominantly be ECW, but we're not opening with ECW, but I do need to introduce our guests. Firstly, Del Mio. Del, good evening. Hi, Bob. Uh, Del will be presenting the rest of the show once I disappear. Kieran Mitchell. Hi, Bob. How are you doing? Very well, thank you. And Tom Martin. Evening, Bob. Now, we're not starting with ECW. We're actually starting uh, in Japan, much sort of like we were with the uh, Volume 4. We are joining IWA uh, in Japan for the King of the Deathmatch final. Now, to briefly set this up before we go into the review of the main event, uh, this was a six-hour show. Uh, It wasn't like six hours wall-to-wall action. Apparently, there were two or three kind of extended intervals in the middle. Um, a lot of the fans went home happy. Uh, and this was, as it sounds basically, it was a deathmatch tournament uh, with matches that you know, exceeded in uh, you know, violence and dangerousness throughout the course. And so we we get to this final. It's um, competed uh, in by two names that all the listeners will know very well, uh, Terry Funk and Cactus Jack. Uh, and they competed in an exploding barbed wire board deathmatch, uh, which basically... <laughs> To fill you with, this is an astonishing match in so many ways. And to fill you in, basically, they've got four kind of, uh, I don't know, maybe two foot wide by six or seven feet long boards, which they've wrapped in barbed wire. And then under each of the boards is a bit of C4, which you, a lot of you will know as explosives. Um, and so each one of those is rigged to blow on impact. And there's also the ring, which is also to blow at a certain stage in the match we'll, we'll come to what happened there um, but I will start with our, our match review uh, as we would normally do for a pay-per-view or as they will do later on with a couple of matches from ECW and TV and then we will you know, discuss it, it's a fascinating match but anyway, Funk starts out firing some right hands at Jack the pair then lock up, Jack whips Funk towards the ropes who stops just short as the crowd gasp, Funk po- points to his head as a sign of his smarts before hitting a neck breaker Funk whips Jack towards the ropes, but he slides under the bottom piece of wire. Barbed wire ropes, don't forget. Funk moves the board into the middle of the ring. Jack rakes Funk's forehead across some barbed wire. Jack tries to suplex Funk, but Funk fights him off into the barbed wire ropes. Jack gets his hair caught, but isn't caught for long. Jack hits some rights onto Funk, who teeters over the middle board that's been put in the middle of the ring. A fourth right is enough, and Funk falls back onto the board. Boom! The first... Explosion of the night, Funk kicks out of the pin. Yes, remember, remember when you're watching any wrestling, any wrestling at any time in the past, any time in the future, remember of all the soft finishes you've ever seen, Terry Funk once kicked out after being blown up. <laughs> remember that. Funk, Funk hits a double underhook suplex, then whips Jack into the ropes, who launches himself into it, but the barbed wire doesn't give. Funk then does a hip toss onto the board, onto Jack, and boom, we get the second explosion. Funk then hits a pile driver, props up a board against the turnbuckle, then pile drives Jack through that. Funk drives Jack into a board in the corner. Jack bounces off, but kicks out at two. 
The action spills to the outside. Jack does an elbow drop onto the board. He laid on top of Funk. Funk reverses an Irish whip and sends Jack into the crowd over the guardrail. Back in the ring, Funk hits Jack with lefts and rights while going into the, for the spinning toehold. Funk is then laid out by Tiger Jeet Singh, who uses his cobra claw kind of you know, walking stick almost, sending Funk down. Jack and Singh then drive Funk into the board, and that explodes. Jack hits a double underhook DDT. Scarp is out of the ring as it's set to explode. And it's more of a puff than a bang. Funk looks a bit pissed off. Catches Jack goes back into the ring and rides a back body drop and sees him land on an exploding board. And we get our fourth proper explosion of the evening. Jack retreats to the outside. Bear in mind that was the bit, the big explosion with the ring was meant to be the ending. Uh, this bit really is ad lib. We'll, we'll discuss that in a minute. Uh, Jack retreats to the outside and gets a ladder. It's quite a big one. Picks up the ladder, flips it over on its end before driving it into Funk's face. He then suplexes the ladder onto Funk. He sets up the ladder, he sends it, and we get a close up in his face. He's caked in blood. I cannot underestimate just, you know, it, it, it's, it's about, you know, a, a few mil thick right across his face. He drops an elbow from the ladder, but Funk still manages a kick out. Jack climbs the ladder again. Funk staggers to his feet, falls over, knocking the ladder over with it. Jack falls on top of the barbed wire ropes in an incredibly dangerous spot. Still, Funk is down for the count. He just collapses after this. Jack crawls over his arm. Uh, puts his arm over Funk and wins the match. Dell, explain the madness. It was mental, absolutely <laughs> mental. I mean, we, how many months, Bob, have we been doing extreme championship wrestling? And I think it tells you something when this gets bumped above everything in ECW, just to kind of sum up what extreme really can be. I mean, they caught a death match. I mean, it, it was pretty much Russian roulette with roll-ups. And I mean, it was just, it was like, going back to like a great coliseum, just watching this stuff. I mean, you're starting it with explosions. You know when it's like a time limit set to a match and it's going to be the time limit is signified not by a bell or an announcement, but by a multiple explosion. It was just, I mean, I think the, the nearest thing that we've seen in recent times to try and can I compare it to some in the West with probability in an Axel Rotten's Taipei Deathmatch? I think it was last month, but it just it sums up when you just get two guys that people genuinely care about, not to kind of take away for the Rottens, but just so much investment in these two guys, as you said at the start with Funk and Jack. It's just, it, it was like the past, the, the past, the extreme, reaching the future, the extreme, just in the one spot and, Adding it into Japan just makes it even that bit more special. So it's like the little things feel big and the big things feel huge. And it was just, it's absolutely something to behold. Tom, did you enjoy this? Yes. Uh, in, a, in, a, in a sadistic way, I did. Uh, I think what, uh, it was an interesting comparison there that Dell made back to the month, uh, the match last month for the Taipei Death Match. Because when we reviewed that match, I think all of us said we didn't enjoy it. It wasn't entertaining. There was very little to like about it. And I think... I don't think, looking back, I don't think that was necessarily just because people care about what happens to uh, Cactus Jack and Terry Funk because they're such, you know, well-known and well-liked and well-respected figures in the ring. I actually think it was because this match, it was really, really violent, but it was the impact of what you were seeing. Because in the Taipei Deathmatch, it was almost verging on torture, whereas this was slams and bumps and really big, uh, literally, literally explosions. So I think... Just as a spectacle to watch, I, I mean, a, a wrestling fan wouldn't enjoy it because there was, I think there was probably about two wrestling moves in the whole match and it lasted probably 20 minutes. But as a spectacle, 
um, and as, as Del alluded to, the fact it was in Japan as well, it, it almost felt otherworldly. It felt like a sort of, sort of thing you would never see in North America or even in the western side of, of, of the, the world. Um, and I, I thought that the two did very well. I, I felt quite uncomfortable watching it. I mean, as you said, Bob, the amount of uh, blood loss from Cactus was unreal. I actually thought at one point, how's he going to see and is he going to pass out? Genuinely, genuinely thought he was going to pass out when he was crawling over the ring uh, when they were both down at the end. Um, but uh, I know I, I, I think, you know, there was probably a bit too much of the explosives for me. I think they could have done that once and had it as a much bigger impact than doing it time and time again. Um, and I also thought that the exploding ring was a bit bizarre. I didn't quite get that. It just looked like four bits of pyro flying up on the, from the ropes, and then and then cactus went back in. So didn't quite get that. But I, I, overall, fair play to them both for putting themselves through it, and a fair play to the crowd for not throwing up. Well, I, I forget the specifics of it, but if we're going to make a comparison to ECW, they did once have a an exploding double cage match, I think, some point oh, earlier. Oh, something like that. Yeah, yeah. Um, and, um, <laughs> Yeah, apparently those, those explosives, you know, explosive wrestling, I just don't think you're a good mix. Um, but apparently those, those, those didn't go off as planned either. Um, but yeah, the, essentially, Kieran, I'll come to you in a second, but essentially the, the, the bit about, I think it's the 10 minute mark where Jack hits the double underhook DDT and kind of like just, you know, just staggers to the outside. He's meant to be the finish. That's meant to be it. Um, basically Funk's motionless in the ring and the ring's meant to blow up and I think that's, you know, in theory I think it's meant to kill off Terry Funk, you know, maybe retire him, who knows, um, but it's certainly meant to write him off so he can go away and nurse some injuries um, and both of them basically went well, shit, we, we, we've actually got to manufacture a finish from here um, Kieran, I'll ask you the same question I asked Tom, did you enjoy this? I did actually, Bob, I when I was first watching it, and it especially clicked when, of course, Cactus Jack, we've all mentioned it, when he gets up and his face is just literally crimson. I, I, I think I've seen a couple of like still shots of him like that in various matches, but to see it like in a match, I just, I won't forget that image of his face like that, but I felt kind of hypocritical because I was really hard on that Taipei death match, and I thought to myself again as I got towards the end of the Funk Cactus match, I was thinking, I think it's because they were actually, within all the chaos and the fact that, as Tom said, there was only like two actual wrestling moves, they were actually telling the story. This is two people who were prepared to go to that extreme for my, you know, for my viewing pleasure, and they were actually willing to tell a story at the same time. So I absolutely love this match. I, I think if this is the sort of extreme wrestling that ECW is capable of, then this is the sort of avenue they need to go down. Have all the, you know, the violence, the blood, maybe a few explosions, apart from like the shit kiss concert they had at the end, whatever was going on there. But have all those explosions, but just have the people tell a story. Don't just have the Rotten Brothers going in there and basically just cutting chunks out of each other, because that literally, it sold nothing, it told no story, whereas this match, it was just absolutely spot on, and I really, really enjoyed it. Yeah, I, I, I didn't particularly, um, I, I guess from a, you know, from a, from a significant standpoint, I, I guess maybe, you know, there was enough intrigue to be able to keep me interested, but it was just so, you know, just brutal. And, you know, and we, we, we talk about, and I, I kind of mentioned it kind of you know, largely jokingly during my review, you know, we talk about ordinary wrestling matches where, you know, simple moves like DDTs and, you know, roll-ups and body slams or if you're the renegade, you know, a flying crossbody can end a match. 
Terry Funk got blown up twice and didn't, <laughs> didn't, didn't get pinned. I mean, you know, like, there's only, I don't know. Um, tell I me, mean, we've had this discussion before about, you know, psychology and firing stuff, but this is, this is on a whole new level in so many ways. I mean, I think what we're forgetting as well, Bob, is as you said at the start, this was the, fi- this wasn't a one and done, this was the final of a tournament bracket. I mean, these guys have been through two, three matches to get to, like, get to this final, as you see. I mean, you've got the likes of Terry Gordy over there, and I mean, this is the final of a match, and I mean, I mean it's just... Sorry, I think it's were, just... They, were they all death matches then, Bob? Yeah, all... All, all of varying degrees. I didn't look at exactly the breakdown, um, but yeah, they weren't all exploding ball, but it was the king of the death match tournament. It was yeah. death matches at each level. I assumed it was just a death match in the bloody hell's teeth. <laughs> just to add a wee bit more kind of wrinkles to that bit. Yeah, that, that bit does. It does and... now. It does now. I, I, I thought. No I thought it was a, that I, it was like. Go on, Tom. Te- telling, sorry, I thought it was a telling sign when the match started, and I must emphasize that it started, and Terry Bu- Terry Funk was already bleeding from his arm. It was. It was. And, I, and I thought, yeah. I thought, have we missed something here? And then I thought, oh yeah, we've missed four and a half or five and a half hours that preceded it, where he's probably already gone through twelve tables. Yeah, I mean, it's insane, as you say, Bob, a six-hour show, and I mean, you've got Cactus's arms, kind of, they've tried to cover it up to kind of cover the wounds for earlier, not in the month or the week, but the day, five hours before he was in these bloody battles, and it's like, it it just sums up these two, these two guys, I mean, Terry Fox's been doing this, what, 20, 25 years now, and I mean, he's still there, I mean, he's got the the heritage with the NWA title and things like that, but I mean, he's not happy just to rest in his laurels. He's out here literally putting his life in the line just for people. the entertainment of people that come to watch him. And I mean, everybody's kind of mentioned that with this Cactus Jack blood spot as well. I mean, it's like, how many times have we heard Gordon Soley back in the day talk about a crimson mask? It literally was. The mask was made of crimson and it was utter blood. And it's just... It's something that I think none of us will forget watching, and dare I say there's a bit of us that would never want to see anything even close to this again, but as I said earlier on, just as a spectacle, it, it is otherworldly. Go on, Karen. No, I was just going to say, I think it's it, it, it spoke to me because, like Dale said, alluded to, that Terry Funk's been around a long time, and I just instantly, when it was when it's those two people, I, I think, again, not wishing to appear hypocritical because of how much I bashed up Max last month. But I'm just instantly invested because those those two guys are in it. You know, because those two guys are in it, immediately it's got my attention. So I kind of, maybe I, maybe I sort of skirt over the issue of whether it was too extreme or not. Um, Tom, let's, um, let's go to what the, the theoretical ending was going to be of this match. Um, that was a bit of a letdown. Do you mean the way that the match finished? No, well, it? we'll come to that in a minute. The way the match was meant to finish, with the big kind of the mass, it was, as I, say, as I understand it, the match was going to end at the 10 minute mark. Captain yeah. Jack scrams out the ring, the ring explodes, and then, yeah, I presume the lights go down, that's it. And it kind of went, like that. It was like, it was like some pyro you'd see on a WCW stage. And then, um, yeah, and then basically, uh, what, what do you think, would that have been an acceptable, finish if it had been spectacular enough uh no it definitely wouldn't and it would be forever remembered if it had been spectacular enough i don't know how i mean uh, it's difficult to tell it it, it was difficult to tell whether there there needed to be more pyro or whether the actual the the, the canvas of the ring was meant to collapse or structurally the whole thing was meant to fall apart it didn't look like it 
it looked like it was meant to be a lot of pyro, and then uh, perhaps maybe the lights should have gone off, and it would have been, well, what's happened? And then the ring, you know, and then the lights come back on, and they're not there. But no, I, I felt that would have been a bit too fantastical, uh, even though the match was pretty wild. I think to end it with uh, the, the potential killing of Terry Funk would be, <laughs> I mean, the, the noise, the noise that some of the women in the crowd were making. When they were oh, chanting, the chanting Terry, Terry, when, especially when the countdown was happening. I mean, that's one thing you could say about it. They really, really sold the audience that the ring was going to blow up and Terry Funk was going to die. They was, they were screaming. So, mate, I, I guess maybe in a way, Bob, it might, it might have been, you know, it could have been headline news. You know, who knows? But the way it went, no, if it, if it had ended after that little pop of those four bits of pyro, it would have been embarrassing. And then Dell. We kind of get that moment where Cactus Jackie's got to steal me outside, going, "Oh, for fuck's sake! Mm. I've got to, I've, I've got to, <laughs> I've got, I've got a match to continue here." And then we kind of cut back to the ring, and the crowd are kind of caught between trying not to laugh and just confusion. And Terry Funk looks around as if to go, "Oh, really?" I've just gone through two death matches. I've been blown <laughs> up twice. I should have been blown up a third time. And so now we, we, we kind of have to come to, you know, the, the, the last kind of three or four minutes of the match, which is, you know, in theory, all ad-libbed. Cactus Jack runs to the wing, walks straight into a back suplex that sees him gets blown up on the fourth board. Um, and then Jack goes for the ladder delt. And, um, yeah, the bit where Funk stands up and Cactus Jack kind of gets toppled off, apparently, apparently so, I think Dave Meltzer said in The Observer, apparently Jack was dangerously close to losing his other ear in this spot. He's only got mm. one. Um, and, um, yeah, basically Jack is probably two-thirds of the way up a pretty big ladder. Um, Funk doesn't really push it over, more just stands up and kind of collapses into it. And Jack just flings himself off it and just telescopes straight down on top of the barbed wire ropes. Um, Dale, if that's invention, then count me out. I mean, it, again, I think it just sums up these two guys. What I think what we've been saying about that, that planned ending, I mean, it's, this sport is kind of looked at as kind of soap opera and spandex. And I mean, it was a, a bit like the full kind of J.R. Ewing situation where it's like, oh, I just woke up and it was all a dream. It's like the anticlimactic ending of what's meant to be a huge angle. And I think they, they two felt it. And they weren't just happy to rest in their laurels like anybody else in the Western world would probably do at that point. For it's like, you can, I mean, even going back to like, say, four, four or five years ago, you've got the full Chamber of Horrors thing in WCW, and it was just a total anticlimax. And it's like, well, that just ended there, and then that was it, and they moved on. But this isn't something that people are going to forget in a hurry. And dare I say, there is much in that last three, four minutes just to show. The blood pouring for Jack. Funk's lying there, I think. God knows what kind of injuries he was carrying prior to the tournament and then what the hell he's picked up now. And the two of them still weren't happy with just leaving it on that, that puffy pyro, as you were saying. It was like, they, they just, they see it as almost like defending their own legacy before it's written. And they yeah. just had to give it a better ending. And I mean, you cannot help but just applaud the two of them for their efforts. Just to quickly jump in, I think Terry Funk was carried either back or a knee injury, I think they said in the Observer. Mm. Um, and as I understand it, he hadn't wrestled since June. This was his first match, kind of, or first day back. And the view was it was going to write him off to have some more time off. Um, but yeah, I mean, the guy's, you know, 47, 48. He is getting on a bit now. Go on, Tom. No, I was just going to say, I don't remember calling it Puffy Pyro, but uh, Dell's summed it up pretty well there. And I'll tell you what. <laughs> Bearing in mind Terry Funk is only 47, 48, he looks a lot older 
And at the end, he, he well, he's, he's been back. blown up twice. That right. man's loved a hard, hard <laughs> life. Yeah. Oh, I know. Well, he, yeah, in dog years, he's probably about eighty. But he 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 does, he sells it really well. Like at the end of the match, he did that sort of thing with his hands, where his hands were shaking, and you almost think, God, what's happening to him? Is he having some sort of fit? Is his body like sort of shutting down? And the guy is just—he's—he's he's right. such—he's—he's he's amazing. He's incredible to still be doing it at, at, at that age and and carrying on. Just amazing. Kieran. Um, I think the final question, I'll kind of all three of you, but can I start with you? Um, w- would you like to see this kind of match in, in North America? Abs- absolutely not, because I don't think it'd be given. It's, it's tough because I did enjoy the fact that I did enjoy the violence in terms of the match, the way the match went, and the guys that were in it and the story they told. But I can just see after seeing what the ECW. Some of those guys think this sort of match and how that should go. I don't think I want to see like explosions in ECW, if I'm honest. Well, I don't think ECW. If that's the sort of aspect you want. To... Yeah, I don't think ECW are going to do explosions anytime soon after what happened last year. Uh, yeah. Dale, same question. Um, I mean, bear in mind that the ending was meant to be the kayfabe killing of Terry Funk. I mean, if it was a shoot match and it was involving the Renegade, then that was the end. I would be quite happy to see it again. But Renegade would have no sold it, Del. The ring would have blown up. Ring, no, no, would have blown up before the flames even beep, beep. stopped, Renegade would have just been running round, just been running round the ring. He's like, look, I'm fine, I'm fine. But no, I mean, the fact, I think for my own kind of well-being plus theirs, I don't think we want to, I don't think we want to even touch the sides anything close to this again, as I say, unless it is involving the Renegade, then I would be quite happy to get the popcorn for that. Um, I don't think I asked you, did you enjoy this match? I did. Um, I, I think it's one of these things that we seem to get more in an ECW side of the business, but we do, we do like us some, uh, some once in a lifetime kind of special moments that we seem to get mostly out of Philadelphia and America, but something like this, I mean, a death match tournament, even just the words are, the words are just terrifying, never mind when you stick in a Terry Funk or a cactus and, so see, Japan, I'm, I'm just a big, big fan of that. And I mean, it's rare that you get a, a kind of westernized commentary on it, which can almost lead you in to enjoy it a bit more when you've got that emotional investment in it. But as I say, it's a spectacle. I don't know whether kind of joyous and happiness would come into it, but enjoyment of a spectacle, undoubtedly. Um, Tom, same question to you. Would you like to see this kind of match in, in North America? I would like to see Hulk Hogan fight himself in a barbed wire C4 <laughs> explosive match. Have him come in, throw, throw, throw his arm to his ear a couple of times, drop the leg on the board, lights out, end of Hulkamania. That's the only, the only thing I want to see. Well, you know, Dungeon Doom, who knows? Who knows? You, know, you, you never know. Maybe, maybe they can kind of trick him into believing he's facing himself. Um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I, I'm happy one and done. Um, you know, as I said, there, there's, there's a hell of a lot of intrigue watching this kind of match. Um, but for me, there just wasn't much enjoyment. It's like, you know, like what, what, where do we go next? Like, you know, if, if blowing people up isn't enough, do we start involving guns? Do we start stabbing people? I just don't know. I just think there's a, that there's a line where, and you know, it's not, it's not to say it wasn't believable, but there's a line you cross to the point where it stops. I think you stop being able to lose yourself in the moment. I don't think anyone could watch this match and truly become lost in it. I think you could you could sit there and go, well, this is bloody interesting, but I don't think you'd get lost in the story. I just think you'd be kind of petrified for their well-being. 
Um, but yeah, anyway, that will bring to a conclusion this bit of the show. Uh, I'm going to go away now. I- I- I'll probably pop in at the very end of the show, but Dale will take over and take you through um, all the ECW action uh, with Tom and Kieran just after this. Todd Gordon of ECW contacted me and said, I know a lot about your reputation internationally. I'd like to invite you up to Philadelphia. we got some special fans up there. I was a little skeptical because of the style that I, that I do in the ring. I've never really worked much in the United States, and I chose not to because of the style of wrestling I do. I've been here a year, and I'm leaving this evening, but I want each and every one of you to know one thing. You have given me the respect, the honor, and admiration. Not just me. Thanks to our brave and fearless leader, Bobby Bamber, for that trip to IWN Japan for the King of the Deathmatch final. We are now back with ECW proper in Volume 3 of the Wrestling 20 Years Ago podcast. And just happen back to July's shoddy, unprofessional introduction. Please allow me to introduce again Tom Martin. Tom, hello. Thank you very much for remembering my name this time, Dale. Not at all, mate. It's not Wayne Lithgow. It is Tom Martin, I do assure you. And the poster boy for the big Val Puccio fan club, Kieran Mitchell. Kieran, hello. How you doing, Dale? How you doing, Tom? So, straight into ECW, pretty much just focusing on hardcore TV for the month. Bit of a dodgy tape trader, never managed to get the heat wave tape. Dale, would you like to do the news? You're still here, Bob. I am, I am. I'm listening to you and you're jumping straight in. You forgot the news bit. Thanks very much for that kind introduction, Bob. We're, 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 say, not, we're not going to edit this out, so yeah, be as smooth as ah, well, possible. Thanks very much. Just to <laughs> show up my shoddiness and unprofessionalism for the second one. Just, just to Bob. explain that, that Wayne joke, Dell sent out the pre-show email uh, last night. And uh, yeah, Tom wasn't on it. Um, so yeah, I had to point that out as well. But anyway, I'm going to go back into my hole. I'll be back later on. Can you tell, ladies and gentlemen, that Bobby Bamber's voice is back to normal? <laughs> Boys, without any further delay, fire us off with the news, if you please. Another busy month in ECW, with their TV output focusing on their recent tours of Florida and New York. The highlight of these events was undoubtedly the climax of Eddie Guerrero and the shooter Dean Malenko's feud. The TV title would switch between both during the month and ultimately ended with two cold Scorpio prior to Eddie and Dean's best two out of three falls match from August 26th. August also saw the heel turn of recent ECW world title contender Cactus Jack. Hot on the heels of his run in Japan as part of the King of the Death match, Jack would be welcomed back to ECW by former ally Tommy Dreamer. During 
bring a tab match involving the pair, Dreamer would have the bout won, but only before Cactus DDT Tommy on a steel chair to give Raven the win. Speaking of world title contenders, champion Sandman got his biggest scare this month at the unlikely hands of Mikey Whipwreck. Mikey would engage in not one, but two Singapore cane matches, even beating Sandman in a non-title match. And blurring the lines between on and off screen, Todd Gordon's ongoing power struggle backstage was addressed on TV as it was explained that his promoter's license had been revoked in Florida and New York, explaining his absence from these shows. Four of ECW's biggest in-ring talents of 1995 are on the verge of joining WCW. Sabu, Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit are all reported to have made a verbal agreement to join the company and Eddie Guerrero was also considered a given to join. The acquisitions are ahead of a WCW launching Monday Nitro on TNT in early September. Along with losing Shane Douglas to the WWF, Al Snow, who last appeared for ECW in February, is set to join the WWF. ECW got into hot water with the Sunshine Network, who air their programme in Florida, after they insisted the angle between Mikey Whitbreck and the Sandman be edited for TV. ECW followed by pulling the program from the network and attempts to return to the network later in the month stalled as it's reported the network doubled the weekly fee they wanted from ECW to air the show from $750 to $1,500. Thank you very much, gentlemen. So, quiet month in ECW for live events, but as we say, never a quiet month, hardcore TV-wise or backstage. So, a couple of big discussion points for us later on in the show. But fire then, we start off five week month in August. Got August first show, got a hard open where we join Tommy Dreamer and Raven already mid brawl on the outside from Florida. The Pitbulls and the Dudleys are around as well as Luna with a bull rope. We then get Sandman making his entrance for a match with women, get the beer and the cigarette, the cane and the gold shared between them. We then get highlights of a number one contender battle royal which takes place to determine the the new number one contender for Sandman's title. We've got Raven, Tommy Dreamer, Steve Richards, the Pitbulls, the Dudleys and the Bad Breed already eliminated, leaving Mikey Whipwreck, Two Cold Scorpio and Marty Gennetti as your final three. Gennetti gets it too cold and we're down to Marty and Mikey. Gennetti works over Mikey, looks to have the win but then Mikey manages to get a head scissors and an arm drag. Marty, uh, Marty plugs Mikey with almost Shawn Michaels uh, super kick but after taking his time to get the, the elimination, Mikey gets up, backdrops Jeanette out, and is the new number one contender. Now, not one to kind of mess about, Sandman, straight out after the, the Battle Royals conclusion. Kane's Marty Jeanette on the outside after Marty shakes Mikey's hand. Marty gets held back by several referees on the outside. Sandman then starts caning on Mikey, and we go straight in to Mikey's title match and it's with everyone's favourite official Bill Alfonso Sandman hangs Mikey over the top rope hits that leg drop for the top strips to the waist shows Mikey the multiple scars that he's got in his midriff hits that famous standing pile driver and that's it for Mikey he gets the the three count and we roll the titles boys just a, a quick kind of discussion on this at the minute who are you expecting First Tom into this battle royal, who were you expecting to win? And then what did you think when it was Mikey that was the the unlikely factor? Well, I mean, going in, I thought that it was going to be Marty Gennetti because I thought, you know, an ex-WWF yeah. guy, he, mm-hmm. he's probably he's probably a, a big name, you know, and the vast majority of people there will have will recognise him. Uh, but then as it went on, 
having watched Battle Royals before and sometimes the underdog is the best pick to make, it became apparent to me that that's how it was going to finish. I wasn't surprised when it finished, as it did, but uh, I wouldn't have guessed Mikey from the outset. <laughs> I don't think many people would have, probably no. most of all Mikey. Um, Kieran, same question, what did, you, what did you think going in? Who was your pick to win it? And then what about Mikey Whipwreck? Again, I'd, I'd straight away, as soon as I see Jeanette is on there, I'm thinking it, it's got to be. Or, as it went on, I thought, oh, maybe someone's going to interfere, cost Jeanette mm. the Battle Royal, allow somebody else to win, and they're going to split Jeanette off and do something else with him. Um, but, like Tom says, you, then you sort of, you know, your, your sort of wrestling brain kicks in, and you've seen a million of these things, and then you can just see it coming a mile off. So I was surprised and not surprised that Mikey won, if you know what I mean. Pretty much. And I mean, straight after the the kind of quick match with Sandman, we've got Mikey then challenging the Sandman as well with the turn the news for a rematch for the title. But it is no less than a Singapore Kane match. If he fails, he vows to take his ten lashings with that Singapore Kane. God love him. He tries to smoke just to kind of add to that extreme side that he's trying to build up that we've seen last year with Cactus. Tries to smoke, but I mean, he would be lucky to draw breath, never mind a, never mind a cigarette. Um, we got a, a recap of Taz's neck injury from last month. Taz now this month standing side by side with the Steiner brothers, Rick and Scott. He's still got the neck brace on, but he says that he's going to be doing his talking in the ring. We then get Scorpio, the man who famously caused him that injury, saying that the only reason that Rick and Scott are there is because Taz is scared that he needs the backup. Scorpio has took that step up. He's covered the the old place by the franchise, Shane Douglas, to take place in that triple threat with Dean Malenko and Chris Benoit. And he says that's because the franchise couldn't keep up. The first proper uh, match review for the month is actually going to be a, a bit of a reoccurring theme this month, as we spoke about in the news. Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, ECW TV title just another volume in this kind of instant classic feud that we're really seeing the two of them don't mess about to start with a couple of swapping uh, wrist locks reversals, one reception for the crowd, Malenko overcomes Eddie in a test of strength but Guerrero does a, a terrific bridge Eddie gets a, an E driven into Malenko's spine again it's reversed into the same hold and then Eddie gets Malenko into the corner hits a reverse Hurricanrana that's already made its way into the ECW title sequence We've got Malenko getting a crossbody from the top. Eddie gets another two with a fisherman suplex. Lovely powerbomb for Dean Malenko for a long two count. Unable to capitalise and a very nice brain buster. The match goes on. Eddie head scissors Dean to the outside. Drop kick to the back of the head. German suplex and a bridge. Still only gets the two. And Malenko hits a tiger bomb for the same. Several quick pin attempts exchange. Eddie slowies reversal. Dean Malenko manages to take advantage of the delay, gets the three, and again becomes ECW TV champion in what's probably the best kind of title in America at the, at the minute for match quality, especially with these two after the, the time limit draws that we've seen earlier in the year. And as I say, this is the first of three times that we're going to be looking at this match this month. Boys, I'm not going to do, kind of dwell too much on it at the minute, but, just as a, a look at these two guys' ability, we've already heard in the news that WCW haven't been slow in picking them up. Kieran, what did you make of this just as a first match for these two of the month? Just, <laughs> I know we, we're going to talk about it later, Del, but this, I mean, they're just on an, they're on an absolute another level. Yeah. They're, they're just, 
You know when you know we get those annoying people at school and at sports, and they just naturally pick things up and they, mm. they basically take the piss and they make it look so easy. These two, it is just effortless. It is literally like two people using the same brain. Not that there's one brain between them, but you know what I'm saying. The way exactly. they just, the way they chain wrestle, the 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 brain bust, the 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 Eddie's arm jack. I could, I, it's like a laundry list. It's just absolutely <laughs> just. Fantastic wrestling. I cannot fault or pick apart these two guys. They're just amazing. They're just on another level. Tom, same question. Would you make it us? Well, you can only admire a match like this and a feud like this, really. I mean, these guys are just absolute dons. I think one, as I was watching it, and again, we'll talk about the, the ongoing feud and the, and the, the matches that followed this one. This was personally my favourite. Um, of all the matches that preceded it. And I think the reason for that is because when I watched it, it was the first of its series, I guess, that I'd seen for this month. And it, and it really impressed me, their technical ability, their, the fluidity of the way they work together. Um, and just, I, I, I actually found myself, as the, match, the matches went on, um, trying to look for something other than the excellent wrestling that was on show. And I'll, I'll, hold, back, I'll hold back on explaining what I mean by that until we, we get there later on in the month. But for this one, it was just technical flair, incredible move set and just i mean I, 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 just like kieran i was making a list of some some spots that i liked and i, I ended up just thinking I'm not, i can't write anything more down I that's the point yeah. you, give up, you just give up in the end don't you tom you just yeah. you just start writing i mean eddie's arm drag is better than some people's careers it's like <laughs> it's got and he makes an arm drag look like a ddt do you know what i mean like when a ddt was a finishing move his arm drag looks like it could finish you off it's just it's whip and the power and the top the timing is just yeah, I think another thing to point out, though, is that although this is another level of, of pro wrestling, um, there will still be ECW purists that don't appreciate it for what it is because they want the E in ECW. And I heard at one point someone in this in this match chanting boring. And that just sums it up. Well, yeah. dare I say, gentlemen, it will be something that will come on to later on because thankfully these kind of unsilent majority are actually putting their plays later on in the, the month. I think it was the third, the 23 falls match that we kind of hear that later mm. on. But you're right, I mean, there's some guys that will say, oh, this isn't, this isn't what this company's meant to do. I'm a way to beat up my wife or to cut somebody in the bar or this. That's what extreme should be. You know, this, you know, this beautiful athleticism and just an absolute honour to watch for, for me. And I don't think you could sum it up better than Kieran with the, it's like two guys wrestling with the same brain and it is just it literally as human chess and as I said we're not going to dwell on it too much at the points we've got another two of these to come up and I, I make absolutely no apologies for the the length of time that these two guys get in this one show because it it just was absolutely something else to behold um, so I mean back to that that E moving away from the W back to the E and ECW we've got Sandman and Mikey again already going for this title match and the, the Singapore Kane match. Mikey's a quick blindside Sandman. It's a spinning heel kick, a suplex, a pile driver. Seems to have the match. One goes to the top to finish it, but it's Mikey, so good luck. He slips to the mat, a gassed Sandman, just pretty much collapses on top of him, regains his title as quick as it starts. Women's just berating Mikey in the house, Mike. Even after the very first shot, referee Jim Molino steps in, offers to take the rest for him, because Mikey is just out on his feet after this first shot, and he's still got nine more to come. Uh, Woman turns and the, the official saying that he's no replacement, and Mikey takes his second shot. Then the ring announcer, 
Gibson tries to take it to, to help Mikey again. Sandman gets his third shot and Women challenges Mikey to assume the position, i.e. bent over the ropes, i.e. Um, Tommy Dreamer, as of last year. Standing perched in the ropes, just waiting for his ten lashes to come. We get four, five, six. Woman then pulls Mikey up by the hair for his seventh. Todd Gordon comes out at this point, check on Mikey. He's soon joined by Hack Myers. We then get Fonzie coming out, takes the microphone, confirms the stipulation, and Sandman again leaps to the t- leaps over the top rope to the outside, and they try to stretch a Mikey to the back, and the youngster gets his last three shots as Sandman shows pretty much no sign of stopping. Uh, Marty Gennetti, obviously the runner-up for the, the Battle Royal earlier in the show, he comes out, tries to cover up Mikey, and ends up taking another ten lashes from the Sandman. And then we finish the August 1st show where pretty decent Marty Gennetti promo by his standards, calling Mikey Whipwreck the bravest kid he knows. Mikey's response, his mum's going to kill him understandably for, for good old mama Whipwreck. Uh, moving on to August 8th, Start off with uh, the public enemies, almost traditional now, Florida house party in the ring, well, before it collapses anyway. Uh, we've got highlights for the company's New York trip. Get Sandman putting uh, Mikey Whipwreck behind him, at least for a little while, against Cactus Jack, who comes to the ring complete with his motorcycle motorcade. We've got Hack Myers and Big Val Puccio continuing there. Kind of Mr. Universe feud. Uh, battle of the B team tag teams. We've got Jim the Anvil Nightheart, formerly of the Hart Foundation and Marty Gennetti, as we spoke about before, formerly of the Rockers. And we've got the gangsters for the first time this month calling out the quote unquote perpetrating replicators, Flyboy, Rocco Rock and Johnny Grunge. We've then cut to ringside. We've got Raven and Richards. They're holding back Tommy Dreamer and Bueller lays in the slaps for the almost barefaced cheek, pun intended, all the, the pile drivers that she's been getting for Tommy Dreamer. Out come the Pitbulls, and we have a tag team title match. So it's Raven and Steve Richards going up against their former allies, the Pitbulls. Pitbull 1 and 2, work over Stevie, start to beg off the, he starts to beg off the, the Pitbulls. Number 2 hits at an underhook powerbomb, huge spinning heel kick to Stevie in the corner, and they brawl to the outside. Uh, one gets uh, the tag in, nails a slingshot tack all over the ropes. Pitbull set the super bomb up, but Raven throws Pitbull 2 from the top and the champions take control. Raven goes for almost a Vader bomb, but Pitbull 1 reverses it. Stevie gets rolled up for the win, but Raven distracts the referee. Pitbull 2 gets a double noggin knocker. Stevie again down for the loss, but the referee's now outside this time with Pitbull 1 and Raven. Inside the ring, Bueller rakes the eyes of Pitbull 2. Steve Richards manages to steal the win to retain. And then post-match, we've got Luna, Vachon and Tommy Dreamer running in to help out the Bulls. Pitbull 1 gets Bueller back into the ring. Tommy Dreamer gets another pile driver, pops the crowd. And then after the match, we've got a quick two-cold Scorpio promo calling out the WWF and WCW for trying to copy ECW. Calls out Taz for dropping that bomb on his neck which in essence is basically a, a spike pile driver, and we then get the drop in the bomb move, then renowned as almost a 360 moonsault from Scorpio, where he turns in, instead of landing um, horizontally on the opponent, he flips right round and lands it as a net uh, leg drop to the prone opponent, then calls out the Steiners, tells them they're next, and again, gentlemen, we're into round two 
of Dean Malenko and Eddie Guerrero. Starting off the match, got a strong lock-up for Malenko. Eddie gets it into a hammer lot. Again, quick reversals and swaps between the two of them. The crowd again pop for the inevitable standoff as both both men get back to their feet. There's a monkey flip to Eddie who manages to land on his feet from the spot. The tease a test of strength, but Guerrero hits a beautiful head scissors before a hurricanana for the top for a two. A quick exchange with head scissors back and forth. Springboard sent on splash by Eddie, but Dean manages to get his foot in the ropes. Pace slows down a bit with an abdominal stretch. Dean Malenko manages to get a belly back suplex, again using his power to regain control. Brain buster Eddie for a long two count. Another of Malenko's just amazing kind of almost rib buster or gut buster at the pens where he's just landing Eddie in that knee. Eddie's down. Guerrero goes for a, a spinning DDT for the second turnbuckle but then just gets launched and they're near fall with a power bomb. Flapjack again to Eddie who again selling that midsection. Tries to get a quick roll up but again Dean gains control. Eddie gets his frog splash but can't get anywhere near the cover because of the, the rib injury that he's carrying thanks to Malenko. Dean then manages to lock in another abdominal stretch. Out of nowhere, Eddie then nails a hurricanana, locks in a cover and he gets the quick win, regains the TV title. So that's two for two for the matches. It's one all and there is a rematch booked. It's going to be back in Philadelphia. Two out of three falls. Kieran, volume two. Thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I preferred, I, I, I can appreciate the way that they paced this one. It just didn't, I think, I think we were, I think we were basically spoiled, if I'm honest, Del. Pretty um, much, yeah. <laughs> we were spoiled in the first one, but I kind of, when, when you look back at the trilogy, you can kind of understand it. So you've got the basically all out wrestling one where this one was slightly quicker, whether they were pushed for time, I don't know, but I think they did just go for a different type of match. But that, I just want to highlight the one note that I did make is is that that press slam knee thing that he does. Yeah. Is it the, the, I don't know, I don't know if he's got a name for that move. Malenko, I was just calling it a gut buster. It's basically Dean Malenko lifting Eddie above his head and a power yeah. lift. Yeah, it's just, it's just poetry. God, I sound like a flipping fangirl <laughs> or something. I'm just like gushing. I'm just like, oh my God, Dean Malenko, marry me. If I weren't married already. <laughs> but I did really enjoy the match. Again, it's because the reason I did it, I didn't enjoy it as much as the first one, but I did enjoy it because when you put like that sort of match in and around this extreme stuff, goes back to why I didn't like the show last month. It's when you put a match as good as this in with all the other stuff, with all the run-ins and the chairs and whatever weapons of the week they've got, it just stands out, but it makes the whole show more bearable. So yes, I did enjoy it, Del, but just not as much as last week, the week before. Tom, same question. Volume two, what's your thoughts? Was that a Godfather or was it a Back to the Future? <laughs> uh, well, it certainly wasn't a Godfather two, where it was almost as good as the original. I thought it was. I thought it was a dip, actually. I really did. When you, when you look at the trilogy, um, I, I think, uh, as you said though, Kieran, we are spoiled on this one, so it's very sort of harsh to pick holes in it. But I thought when I, when this match was going on, I thought, okay, it needs to be different to the first, and it was. But again, I think that's again touching on what Kieran said. I think it was because they didn't have as much time. Um, and they had to pack it in a bit quicker. It didn't feel organically different to the first one. And when I alluded earlier, there was something that was going through my head as the matches went on in the series. I, I was thinking, OK, how much can they actually do with this without there being a story behind it? Because the great thing about pro wrestling is that 
it's it's in-ring entertainment supported by soap opera and there wasn't any soap opera at this point in the, in the feud for me so i was thinking okay it's a rematch uh, battle of the battle of the wits can who's going to get on top this time yes it was a different result but it almost felt like a a, a remake of, of a great mm. film that you saw once that isn't quite as good as the original but you still like it because because it's got you know good characters or what have you but again i'm picking holes it was highly enjoyable and and you know that monkey flip spot that eddie does uh, it was fantastic i actually think in when i was watching this when i said i was looking for something other than the wrestling that's what i started doing in this match and i actually started thinking who do i prefer out of these two and who do i think is the better who is the better worker and my right. answer my answer in this one that i kept through to the end is eddie guerrero because I think that Eddie Guerrero has infinitely more character than Dean Malenko, and I think that's quite obvious because Dean Malenko doesn't talk. But the thing is with Dean Malenko is that he doesn't have that powerhouse um, sort of 911 thing where he just comes out and he can dominate the ring and just knock people out for, for fun. He's a great technical shoot wrestler, obviously, given his nickname, but he doesn't have the personality to go along with it. And Eddie Guerrero has got everything that he's got, but he oozes character as well, and he's got the flair and he's got... He's, 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 you know, gesturing to the crowd, and he is just an absolute don. And, and this match made me realise, actually, I do think they're on slightly different levels overall. Certainly not with the pro wrestling, because they both are just, you know, they're, they're, they're incredible. But, um, well, dare I say that's that's probably something we're actually going to come on. I think at the end, Tom, you've given me that idea, but I think we will kind of call it in the next kind of two, three years who's going to be the bigger star, Eddie or Dean, and we'll probably come on to that and see what the pros and cons for each of them are at the end, and obviously that. That situation when I'm moving on to WCW as well, I think that's definitely something we need to look at. And the soap opera side of it, we've probably got a bit of a downbeat second match. Did I say if we'd have watched it as a one and done, it'd probably still be better than anything else that we're going to see this this year. But I mean, I think we might have a, a little bit of drama coming up later on in that third that third and final instalment of the trilogy. And did I say a little bit of emotion possibly as well. So I mean the. The last wrap-up for the August 8th show, just get another further building, Taz, Scorpio and the Steiners. Quick promo for Rick and Scott, calling Scorpio down to the dog pound, and Taz then rips off that neck brace that he's been carrying, says he's now been quote-unquote Steinerized. You know something, Sandman? I want you to come up here real close, because I think you're kind of retarded, and you're here with your eyes, and I want you to see what I'm saying. I used to have a lot of respect for you. I thought you were the epitome of ECW. The man goes to the ring smoking a cigarette, drinking a beer with the finest woman in wrestling, and then gets in there and kicks ass. That's pretty extreme to me. But what you did to this kid right here, that wasn't extreme. That was stupid. And I've lost all respect for you. And I got a whole different opinion of you now. To me, you're nothing but a beer drinking, some cigarette smoking, fat beer belly pig. And I'll tell you what, my man, I've been in a lot of fights. I've had my ass kicked. And I'm sure down the road I'm going to get my ass kicked some more. There's one thing that anybody can count on that knows me. I will not back down from any fight. And what you've done to this kid and what you've done to me, well, you've opened a whole new can of whoop ass. Because you're going to see a side of Marty Gennetti that nobody ever seen. You want to see extreme, my man. You're going to see extreme. You're going to see me like you don't ever want to see me. I'm going to come after you, my man, and I'm going to kick your ass. And my man, I want to tell you one thing. For what you did out there, to stand there and take that from the sand, man. You're the bravest kid I've ever met. Your time's coming. My mom is going to kill me. 
I've seen Sabu forget what fans made him a star. I've seen Shane Douglas wuss out. I've seen Bill Alfonso come in and ruin what ECW is all about for everyone. I've seen Taz get hurt. Taz. And I know I could get really hurt. So Sandman, it's time for Mikey Whipwreck to take you to the extreme. So crying on in the month, now on to August 15th, start off with our public enemy promo with Mikey Whipwreck in the hood. Mikey gets hooded up and starts singing and dancing when they bring up the Sandman, showing that extreme sight to Mikey. Then cut back to ringside, we've got Joey Styles interviewing the tag champs. Stevie brags about his girlfriend Francine and calls her babe. She calls him sweet cheeks. We get a call for a slut, we get a call for a bitch, and Beulah calls out Francine. The two of them have a brief in-ring cat fight, skin everywhere before they get tore apart by the mid-card. We get a pre-tape with the Pitbulls calling out the Dudley brothers. Tommy Dreamer tells Raven that the walls are closing in. Get a quick match between Hack Myers and JT Smith, both popular and fairly local guys. Deafening Shah chance for Hack Myers. The two of them show a bit of respect at the start, but JT's sportsmanship seems to kind of almost a turn of the tide in Philadelphia where the sportsmanship gets booed and the two of them start to brawl. Absolutely sick bumping the match to the outside as JT Smith goes for a suicide plan shot over the top but catches his knees midway through the move. Catches himself, falls short, face first, onto the concrete. Loud, loud, you fucked up chance. Val Puccio ends up doing a run, well, doesn't do a run in, but kind of plods in for inside. Takes out Hack Myers, JT gets the win. We've then got a Raven promo with Stevie, Bueller and the Dudley brothers. Stevie talks up their title win a couple of months ago. Brags about Francine, much to Bueller's disgust. Raven then tells Stevie to let the Dudleys talk. Dudley, Dudley calls out the Pitbulls for taking out Little Snot. But as he says, there's plenty more Dudleys where they come from. So that's something that I think we're all waiting with bated breath. Raven goes back to Tommy Dreamer as Big Dick stands firm in the background, so to speak. Uh, we've got Hack Myers coming back out with a chair. He takes out Big Val, as Big Val's taking on the hitman Tony Stetson, Broad Street Bully. We then cut to Tommy Dreamer, and there's no Luna for the eight-man tag. So as we alluded to in the news, he brings out Cactus Jack to go with the Pitbulls. Cactus lips ripping his opponents, Raven Richards and the Dudleys. We've got Raven at the start of the match talking up Cactus saying he's came also close, whether it's Sandman and ECW, Vader and WCW, but Raven can feel his pain. Raven then slaps Jack, but he just turns the other cheek. Dreamer tags in, but Raven tags out. Double DDT for Tommy. The Pitbulls chair the absolute life out of Steve Richards on the outside. Cactus then gets in, clears house until Raven when he backs out and tags in Pitbull too. Big Dick face plants Tommy Dreamer. Raven cuts off Tommy's chance at the tag. Cactus then takes out the Dudleys on the outside. They're a pile driver to Raven for Tommy Dreamer. Finally going to get his pin over his arts nemesis, but Cactus hits a double arm DDT to Tommy Dreamer onto the steel chair, and Raven's army get the win. The crowd just hot at this point. Cactus then helps Raven to the back. 
gents, it was some I was going to talk about near the end of the show, but I think we need to talk about it here. There wasn't a lot of action in this August 15 show, but Tom, starting with you, Cactus Jack, heel turn in Philly. What do you think of the actual turn itself? What do you think of the prospects it's got going forward? Uh, well, I'll give two answers. I thought the way it was done was fantastic. I, I really, really liked it. I, I, yeah. From the moment he came out, I thought that it's, it doesn't something quite doesn't quite fit with him being in this match. Mm-hmm. And I thought to myself, something there's going to be something that evolves during it that um, that, that gives it a reason for him being involved. Um, and I just thought it was so clever as it went on. Yeah, and then the, the, the promo before the match where Raven was saying, "I feel your pain," uh, all those all those lost title opportunities, etc. And you could see Cactus sort of listening to him. And then throughout the match, Cactus was 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 hitting, the, hitting his opponents, but every time Raven got in the ring, he backed off. And it was just really clever, and I, I loved it. I think it just shows how good Cactus Jack is and how good he can be. Because yeah, we, we we talked about him in the exploding C4 Death match. But actually, he can just tell a really good story, and that is sometimes all you need. Um, and I thought, in terms of a heel turn, the crowd popped so loud for him when he came in. I mean, he must have realised from the moment he walked out, the moment I dropped that double arm DDT, it's going to be it's going to be hot, hot as hell. And as, as you alluded to, though, it, it was just that. So I think it, it was done fantastically. What the opportunities are going forward, I'm not entirely sure because I don't know if the company needs another sh- super strong heel at this point. I don't know really immediately who he's going to feud with because Sandman's a heel, Raven's a heel. Yes, Tommy Dreamer's the sort of... I think he'll always be a babyface, to be honest with you. Um, I, I think other, I, don't, I don't really understand the decision around it now, but hopefully time will, uh, time will tell us the answer to that. As you say, I mean, I think if anybody can tell that story productively, then dare I say it might just well be the man for truth or consequences in New Mexico. Kieran, same question. Would you make the, the turn itself? Where do you see it going? The, um, I mean, first of all, I mean, take the take the heel turn out of it, take the promos out of it. The, the amount of dick puns that Cactus Jack can fit <laughs> in in about a minute is That's absolute. Great. He said he was going to unload on that big dick. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, the heel turn itself was just this. This is why I love wrestling because. You know, you sort of know it's coming. So Tom alluded to it that you could tell that something wasn't quite right. Oh, what's, you know, he, he, he was being overly generous to Raven as a man. You know, he quite, he, he digs him and Tommy Dreamer sort of stood in there, you know, and he's doing his work as well. So he's sort of like, okay, Cactus, I'll give you that. You know, I don't, I, I, I dislike Raven, you dislike Raven, but, you know, give the guy his due. You know, he knows his own mind. And then just slowly the psychology in the match was just absolutely Fantastic! The way he sort of backed off when Raven would get tagged in, and then Tom said the the crowd is literally eating out of Cactus Jack's hands, and it is a very rare wrestler that is able to do that, do it well. And like I said, it's all about it's all about the execution, and the execution of it was fantastic. And I think it then went on to the promo. The I know you'll probably cover it, but. Cactus Jack's promo at the end of the show where they, you know, they sort of, the cameraman wanders out, finds him. That promo is just like the icing. When you put all that together, the promo before, the match, the turn, the promo after, it is just, it's five star. It's absolutely amazing. Well, yeah. as you two, as you two boys say, I mean, I think 
it's very rare to get somebody that's got that kind of physical investment emotionally in the ring with Cactus. The fact that, as you say, you can follow up with that promo, uh, just like magic, we can't explain it. Let's Cactus do his job. was two hours late to a building I've been in dozens of times before because I couldn't remember the way. Why don't you think about that for a while? Because when I think of the loss of physical and mental functions in my life, it hurts! When Vader dropped me on my head, it hurt! When I felt my ear being torn off the side of my head, it hurt! When Terry Funk put a lifelong brand into my flesh, it never gave me the revenge I truly needed. It hurt! And when Shane Douglas, a man I called friend for the last dozen years, stabbed me in the eye. Come back, Shane wouldn't work. It hurt. Understands that. The ECW fans, they make it off on pain, but they don't understand it. But one man did. One man answered the call. It was Raven. So how can I turn my back when he's got a higher purpose? When he understands my pain and he understands every thought that goes on through this twisted skull. I'm prepared to live with my actions. So for Tommy Dreamer, who considers me the original hardcore wrestler. I'm not prepared to bear that cross. I'm sorry, Tommy. For Mikey Whipwreck, who looks up to me. I'm sorry. For every fan who ever bought a ticket thinking that Cactus Jack messed the thing. sorry but the fact remains that anybody Mikey Whipwreck Tommy Dreamer public enemy who stands in the higher purpose of Raven has now got to deal with me and for that I'm truly sorry and who knows maybe next time I'll kill them Get it over quickly. Bang! Bang! Tom, for me, I, I, I don't know how many times I've said it this year already with Cactus. Five star, do you agree? Cactus Jack is my favourite 
performer in ECW. He's my favourite to watch. He's my favourite to listen to. He is exceptional, in my opinion. Um, and I just think he's he's incredible. So, yeah, five star. I'd give him six if I could. I like him that much. I think we would give him 11 if we could, mate. It's just, it's just the like, absolute... Uh, sorry, can let me go. No, sorry, Dad. It's just, he's like this. He's like the old classic villain, and it's like a proper character. You know, I was just going to say, in that, I left that bit out of that put that promo at the end of the show the way his the way he uses his voice to convey emotion is you, I don't think I've ever heard anyone use psychology and, and their voice in particular which is something that great actors do when they sort of do like method acting they will use their voice you know the voice is a way of communicating obviously and the way Cactus is able to use his voice, the way he accentuates certain words, you know, the quiet sentence, and every time it's punctuated with the same two words, was it hurt me or... It hurt, yeah. It, it hurt. hurt. The, way he, the way he said those two words, I was just like, oh my god, this guy is just... But I said he's on another level, it's just amazing. It's like poetry, it really is, it I'm, is. Not, I'm not over-exaggerating it, it really is. No. I mean, it really is, I mean, it's something that I think we've all kind of felt a bit foul at this month, we'll come on it again with Dean Malenko and, and Eddie Guerrero, but, I mean, we really are just spouting just unbelievable kind of superlatives at some of this stuff. And, I mean, I think physically, Guerrero and Malenko knocked out of the park. Verbally, Cactus just, it just does it every time. I mean, it's actually something me and Bobby Bamber were talking about, I think it was last month off here, and it's like, who's, who's your favourite wrestlers at the minute? And one of mine was Jake Roberts. He was never a physical specimen. He was never kind of somebody that you would often see in five-star classic matches that went 30, 40, 50, 60 minutes. But there was just something about the man's control of psychology where it's, they can tell a story, they can get you invested in it. And if they need to, if it's where the story's going, they can make you believe that they are bad, bad people. And Cactus can do that, but he can also do it for the other side of the coin as well. I mean, we're talking here about a heel turn. We've seen him have this run as a babyface that he's been doing for him into the company, and it's the, the reaction at the start as well. He was just eating it out of the, getting the crowd eating out of the palm of his hand. And I mean, this is no dumb crowd that you get in a, an ECW arena. And I mean, Cactus Jack is just... It's just another another level. I mean, we've talked about the brutality of that match over in Japan. I mean, here we see him two weeks later just telling a story the way that nobody else could. I mean, I, I would even branch out when you were saying, Tom, about method acting and things like that. I mean, this isn't even just a wrestling promo. This is just art, whether it's kind of films, music, TV, wrestling, sports, whatever you want to Whatever genre you want to throw at this, Cactus Jack tells a story that can invest anybody in it. For me, yeah, yeah, it's it's similar to, to make a comparison to another form of entertainment. It's like in hip hop music, the, the best rappers will often you forget what they're singing because you you forget what they're rapping because you can hear them singing a melody behind it. But when you listen mm. to it, you don't actually hear the melody. What you hear is the words. But what happens is the melody sticks in your head. And Cactus does the exact same thing with his promos because, like like Kieran said, he puts in phrases that, re- that repeat at the same high level so i mean literally i wrote down it hurt because that was the one thing that stuck in my head and if i ever think about that promo or the cactus jack heel turn from this period that is what i'll think of and he's mm. he's a genius because he, he he puts that in and i can guarantee no one's told him to do that he knows mm. exactly how to engage with an audience and how to to almost tattoo um that memory in the audience's brains it's incredible 
and there's just nobody, nobody else that can do it. And I mean, we start again just August the twenty second, right after that, that promo that ended August fifteenth show. August 22nd, we're right back in it. It's another recap of that, that cactus turn for last week. We've got a bit in Sandman and Mikey, a bit in Steve Richards' love triangle, but again, the focus is just on, on cactus track right at the start of the next week, and you can tell that it's just created a, created a movement almost of the, of the turn that happened, and just this unbelievably captivating character that is cactus jack. And I mean, we're, we're starting then with a, a match for the, the August 22nd show. Benoit is injured. He's been injured over in Japan against Sabu, he who must not be named. We've got Malenko and Scorpio apparently going alone against the Steiners and, and Eddie Guerrero. As Taz also is still injured. We get at the start of the match, Raven comes out of nowhere, offers his hand to Scorpio, but then brings out Cactus Jack to team with two cold and the shooter Di Malenko. And, and already just after a week, the crowd is just hotter than hell at this point for for Cactus. He, he's then doing an ad hoc in the ring. He's calling the Steiners the most over tag team he's ever seen. At this point, mentally, I'm thinking, well, I would probably go with the Road Warriors myself, Cactus. But he then just delivers the punchline, and it's uh, the most over tag team he's ever seen. Overrated and overpaid. Eddie isn't a wrestler, he's a trapeze act. And it's, it's just the genius he just feeding into what he knows this crowd is thinking. And then just throwing it back in their face. Um, so straight under the match, we then get Rick and Scott, Steiner Brothers and Eddie Guerrero. They're going up against Cactus Jack, the shooter Dean Malenko and Too Cold Scorpio. Scott and Dean start the ring. Malenko's outpowered for once after his matches with Eddie. Scotty Steiner's just outpowering him. The fans well behind the Steiners. Dean blocks a suplex in for the apron, reverses it to throw Scott to the outside and then follows up with a baseball slide. Eddie gets tagged in. Again, the crowd eating at the palm of the hands, right on side with Eddie Guerrero. Again, some of those lovely, lovely arm drags, springboard planche at the outside. The crowd's just going bananas. Got a brain buster laying it too cold. Tags in Rick Steiner. The crowd's still hot. Scorpio tries a, an Eddie-esque flying head scissors. Bit of a messy delivery. The crowd just laps it up and yet more you fucked up chance. Uh, absolutely lovely, nonchalant head faint for, for Rick Steiner to dodge a crossbody. Scorpio gets in cactus. They go to blows and carry on around ringside. Sick belly belly for Rick to Jack on the concrete. Again, Cactus Jack coming off the back of this Tokyo, um, the, the Japanese death match, sorry, an IWA. Sick bump onto the concrete with a belly back suplex for Rick Steiner, no less. Eddie gets tagged in, going up against Cactus, goes for a victory roll, but it gets blocked by Cactus in an electric chair. Malenko tags in, Eddie misses his frog splash, Dean belly backs for a two count. Eddie gets his victory roll for a two, can't reach the Steiners for the tag, and Jack gets back into the ring. Got a backdrop for a two to Eddie. After the commercial break, we cut to Scorpio dropping that bomb, as we spoke about earlier on, on Eddie. Gets the leg drop, gets a power bomb. Seems to have the match won, but the Steiners break it up. Scorpio gets a huge splash, but Eddie gets his knees up. Rick Steiner gets in, clotheslines galore, belly belly suplex, Cactus breaks it up, Scott powerbombs Cactus, Eddie Lariat Scorpio from Rick and Scott's shoulders. He then gets Cactus up on the Steiner's shoulders, goes for the, the drop kick to Cactus, nails it, misses the head scissors to Malenko, who again is on the, the shoulders of Rick and Scott, doesn't quite connect on it. Andy Malenko manages to steal the win. Kieran, I'm going to start with you here. I've gave that quite a lengthy match review there, but I swear to God, this is possibly one of the best tag matches I've ever seen. And I don't know if it's just me. What did you think? 
No, no. It, it's just... I can't believe this is the same company that I watched last month because <laughs> as you guys both know that was basically the first time I watched ECW properly seeing the old match here and there and then we cut to this month August and I'm just like what the fuck what's going on it's I mean it starts out with is it is it Eddie and Scott does it start out with Eddie and Scott I think it's yeah, Eddie I think it's Scotty Steiner and Malenko it starts to try and get the Malenko, test is trained and it's just from then up, from some of the, like the, I mean, Joey Styles as well. I just want to pay a quick note to him. Yes. Not only, not only in the Malenko and the Guerrero one-on-one, but in this match. I mean, you basically described the match in a nutshell. Trying to call that sort of match. <laughs> and on your, on your own, this is what I keep forgetting about um, Joey Styles. He's on his own. And he's doing, he's absolutely fantastic at what he does. But in terms of the in-ring action, it's just, again, it's just another level. And in, like I said, in particular, Malenko and Scotty Steiner starting it off. And the way they paced it, then they bring in Rick Steiner, who slows it down. And then Two Cold Scorpio gets, everyone gets like a fair, gets their fair share. And at no point are you bored. No point, the match does actually sort of slow down in pace, but it doesn't slow down where you notice it slow down. It's just a different type of wrestler is in the ring. Just the mixture of the guys, the way they told the story, combined with Joey Styles' commentary, and again, it's just five stars. Absolutely, thoroughly enjoyed it. And the crowd as well, Kieran. I mean, the crowd just popped forever that they were meant to pop for. They gave heat forever and they were meant to give heat for. They're, a proper, they're a proper wrestling crowd. Yeah. Again, it's like everything about what I like about wrestling is encapsulated in one company. Perfect. Tom, what's you know, your thoughts on are... this? Sorry, Kim, you get any last words there? No, no, I was just going to say, like, they are a crowd that will basically go to, I mean, my boy, Big Val, and call him, like, <laughs> basically call him a fat fuck till the cows come home. But when it comes down to it, they're there for a show. They know why they're there. They're not marks. They might appear to people to be, like, really, like, markish crowd, but they're not, Del. And that's what I've come to love about ECW. First of all, thought that, you know, the crowd were there just to sort of shit on everything if the wrestlers got something wrong. But they look, that crowd loves wrestling and that really came through in that match. And as you say yourself, Kieran, you can't believe this is the same company as last month. Last month you yeah. thought they were marky and yeah. shitting on stuff. It was yeah. stuff we didn't like and it was stuff that we didn't think was that good. But then you see it this month when it is stuff we like and it is stuff that's good. You've got the wrestling, you've got the extreme stuff, you've got the promos, you've got this match. Yeah. As soon as it's good, they respect the good. They will shit on it if it is shit and it deserves it. But yeah, if it's yeah. good, you're going to get as good a buy-in as you're going to get for, for anybody in the world. Tom, what's your, what's your thoughts on this? Yeah, I am going to have to bring it down slightly. Oh, don't bust my bubble, Tom. Oh. I'm sorry, I, I've got my pin out and I am going to do some popping. <laughs> Just a little bit. Not, I, won't, I, mean, I won't pop it, I might, I might prod it a little bit. The only, the only issue I had, and, and don't get me wrong, I thought it was a great match. The only issue I had is an issue that I've had throughout all of this month of ECW, and now's a good time to bring it up, is on, there, there are certain talent within the ECW roster that are stiff as a fucking board, and it's bordering on the point where it's un- I, don't, I, I can't help but notice it when I watch it, and it, makes, it dampens my enjoyment of the match. Um, Scott Steiner is a primary culprit of it, and the other primary culprit who we talked about already this month is Sam Matt. The way, the way that Scott Steiner slams people, he slams them with intent. And with pro wrestling, the idea, as I understand it, is always to protect your opponent and to support your opponent so they don't have any long-term injuries. Yeah. He is going to break someone's neck. He is far too stiff, 
And Sandman, the way he was hitting Mikey Whipwreck with that cane this month. I, and also, why always hit him in the head? There's no need to always hit him in the head. The guy's going to have his brain rattled or his skull rattled. I, I just, I, I don't want to make too big of a point of it because I thought it was a really, really good match. But there's no need to be as stiff as they are. And I think the reason they do it is because, A, Sandman thinks, well, we need to put the emphasis on me putting a whooping on Mikey because he's so small and he shouldn't be um, messing with me. And also, I'm the king of extreme. And he was screaming at the camera saying, I'm, going to, I'm, I'm the king of extreme. He's nothing, you know, he's nothing compared to me. But it's still, you, you, someone at the back should be, should be saying to him, look, Sandman, just rein it in a little bit. You're going to really hurt this guy. And with Scott Steiner, um, he's coming in and, and they probably don't care because this isn't their pay ticket. They're, they're there to keep themselves relevant and to, uh, to bring people in that might be casual viewers and think, oh, it's those guys from other promotions, what have you. But they need to rein it in. I, I, I didn't like um, a number of the spots. And I thought that the spots with the, um, the Steiner's finishing move, with the, um, the, the, the bulldog off the, um, off the shoulders... I, I, a couple of those, I just, I just winced. And I, I, I mean, I, it's amazing. I winced after watching the death match with Cactus and Terry Punk. <laughs> but it's a different kind of wincing because it's, it, all it's going to take is someone to fall awkwardly on their neck and it's, it's, it's career overtime. And I, and I, it's just a, a point I wanted to make. Well, I must have, Tom, I don't like tag team wrestling. I've said it many times in the show before. I've been slated for it many times before, especially with Mr. Mr. Nostalgia, Craig Wilson. This is possibly the best tag match I've seen since last year at the Action Zone. I think it was the first Action Zone. It was like Kid and, Kid and Razor against Sean and Diesel, I think it was. But the one critique that you've made of this match that kind of shows it in a negative light, the stiffness of Scotty Steiner. And to an extent, Rick as well. Rick's no, Rick's no angel. But I mean, bearing in mind that they were kind of going about at the same time as the Road Warriors and NWA and then when they went to WWF, things like that. Everybody knows it's happened a couple of years ago now. You can you can see the transition here. We're nineteen ninety five. It's not nineteen eighty nine anymore, and I think it's a perfectly valid point. And I must admit, if there was one critique of this match, and as you say with the Sandman as well, you think you nailed it, and I am more than happy to take that on board. So thank you very much for maybe not popping my bubble, but certainly giving me a reality check on that, Tom. And I totally agree. Kieran, what's your thoughts on that? Yeah, no, I, I, I take Tom's point. I, I just don't. I get, I'm guilty of getting caught up in stuff, and I don't. I think I'd have to see it two, three times maybe, but I sort of kind of know what I'm getting with the Steiner brothers. They are just no, notoriously that way. Well, you know, it's it's obviously not right, but if we're talking about this match in particular, I just didn't pick up on it because I was so caught up in the match itself. Well, dare I say that's probably why you see Rick and Scott Steiner coming in for these kind of one-off appearances and you maybe don't see them in a week-to-week run, whether they're going through Philly and then going over to Florida, up to New York, doing the doing the kind of circuit. Really, you kind of see them coming in for these one-off matches. One, because they probably are, like character says, overrated and overpaid, but two, you don't want to be kind of seeing them take those bumps against those stiff boards that are the, the kind of 450, 500-pound Steiner brothers and I mean, it kind of makes them that special attraction, but at the same time, it means that you are protecting that sustainable future for the for the company as well. But as I say, brilliant tag match. Definitely valid point there for, for both of you guys. And I mean, talking about the Sandman, coming on quick to, to very, very quick highlights of that non-title Singapore Kane match. Got a, a Frank Mikey from Mikey Whipwreck. Got a Plancha. Mikey looks brilliant at the start of the match, but the champion gets back into control. Bullies the... The youngster again, the crowd hot for this. They brought it to the outside, as is the Sandman's want. Mikey then wraps a chair around the Sandman three times, showing that evolution extreme that he's now getting. 
top row cross body, gets the win. Wow, he just beat the world champion woman at the end of the Singapore game match, keeps the cane, but John Finnegan, referee, takes the mic, no lashes, no title. Sandman will be stripped and not of his top, but of his belt. Champion begs off Mikey. Woman berates her man to get the, get to the position, gets to the ropes. Woman obviously kinda more sided with the gold perhaps than her man, but she gets uh, Sandman into position. Mikey starts with a shot. Sandman laughs after the first, strips to the waist again and then shows these scars off. Mikey quickly hits the two, three, four, five. Woman grabs the cane. Mikey bends her over for a, a French kiss. Sandman then grabs the cane in respect to this, lashes Mikey. John Finnegan, to his credit, again warns the Sandman. Woman rushes, takes the cane off him, and then Sandman says he's doing a sitting till he gets the cane someone ten times. The enemy commit, Johnny and Rocco. They tell him to leave the crowd chant, get the fuck out. It gets the cane to Johnny. Rocco goes for the Sandman. We get the Skanksters running out. And the stretcher match starts between those two. Very quick highlights again. Just bear in mind that Florida situation, as we spoke about in the news. New Jack gets stretchered. Johnny gets maced. Rocco drives by his Mustafa through the table. But Sandman comes back out, gets his lashes in in the flyboy. And the gangsters get the win. And Mikey comes out to cane the Sandman. Fans here in the ECW arena. And of all of our fans watching on the ECW television network. Due to the relationship between Mr. Ted Turner's wrestling company and New Japan Pro Wrestling and the fact that both Eddie Guerrero and the shooter Dean Malenko have contracts with New Japan Wrestling Mr. Guerrero and Mr. Malenko will soon be plying their trade for WCW. Five-week month for ECW's Hardcore TV. Last week of the month, we've got August 29th, and it's pretty much the Dean and Eddie show. It's a big, big build on the, the Guerrero-Malenko match, leading into this Mammoth 23 Falls, pretty much their last hurrah in Philadelphia. We've got an in-ring interview with Two Cold Scorpio, who is your new TV champion. Bit of a surprise for the crowd, but then Styles announces Guerrero and Malenko both due to debut in WCW very, very soon. So understandably, they've made that switch with the belt to Too Cold, which we'll probably be seeing in the next month, coming up on Hardcore TV. And we start off the 2 out of 3 falls match. Very, very warm reception for both guys. we get Eddie Chance ringing it loud. A stare down between the two of them, and there is a handshake. Let's go! 
So please don't go chance ring out for the, the first tie-up really in a match. Cat-like stuff early on for Malenko. A lengthy pin attempt from Eddie, but Dean manages to bridge out it. Eventually reverses into a leg lock. There's an arm bar from Guerrero. Bit of a slower, more kind of grapple-based matchup so far. As we said earlier on, it really has just human chess with these two. A couple of quick reversals. The couple of fans chant, as we were mentioning earlier on, we want blood and also boring. Now, as I say, a couple of fans, but the rest of the crowd admirably then chant asshole in response to this unsilent majority, kind of putting them in their place and then just let's get on with this match. We're not going to see this again. And by God, these two have worked their ass off for for our entertainment, so fair play to the, the Philly faithful. Uh, Malenko's power starts him to get the, the upper hand, but out of nowhere, Eddie steals the first fall, 1-0 Guerrero. Cut to commercial, Dean starts to work on Eddie's ankle and knee as we get back, couple of quick shots to the knee and ankle, a knee bar, Malenko continues to work the leg, eventually getting on that Texas clover leaf and Eddie taps for one all. Again, cut to commercial, we see Eddie come back, try to walk off the, the kind of bad wheel on the outside, and then Guerrero's just really fiery to start this third and final fall. Get Malenko falling through, a couple of Irish whips falling through into the corner with a couple of lariats. He'll kick to Eddie, Eddie rolls out, then falls him, rams him into the barrier, and then gets Guerrero back in the ring. Tiger bomb to Eddie, he is noticeably struggling at this point with that with that kind of knee injury, the ankle injury, really kind of struggling with the one wheel. And again, just as, as Kian Mitchell was saying earlier on, Joey Styles just doing an absolutely stellar, stellar job of calling pretty much near an hour of these guys in the one month. He's a one-man booth, no colour. He's doing play-by-play. He's doing the colour. He's doing the same match for three times. Must be about 50, 60 minutes of these guys, as I say, in the one month. Just major, major props to him for holding a, a TV audience. Still manages to make it feel fresh. Still manages to sell the excitement. There's a hurricanrana for a, a two and a top rope sunset flip for Eddie. Malenko manages to reverse it. Hits that gut buster. The fans still lap it up. Start loud chants of shooter, shooter. Styles then goes into top gear. Fast pace, German suplex for Eddie, but Malenko lands in top of him. John Finnegan then rules that all four shoulders were down to the mat and very aptly in recall to the, the previous matches that we've seen with these two when it was still for the title. We have another and the final draw between these two. Just a, just an absolutely amazing rivalry with these two. It's got to be at least a contender, but for me personally, I think we're going to be we're going to be struggling come December for at least in my eyes to top this as a, a feud of the year. I'm calling it now as only August. I might end up regretting it, but I very, very much doubt it. Post-match, Eddie then takes to the, the mic. Thanks all the fans for their support. Almost shockingly, Dean Malenko then asks for the mic. He tells the story about his arrival in ECW last year. He was very sceptical at the start. Bit of the extreme style. Didn't know how they would take to his style of kind of catch wrestling. It just states an absolute admiration for what he's found. It is genuinely quite emotional in my eyes. Eddie thanks Dean. The two of them embrace in the ring. We then get Hack Myers, the Pitbulls, Tommy Dreamer, Todd Gordon, Paulie Dangerously all coming out. The crowd chant as loud as ever. And then almost just beautifully to wrap it up, Eddie then dedicates the full experience to the the American Love Machine art bar. 
just a, an absolutely beautiful show. It was just a Dean and Eddie show for this pretty much full hour that this last week of the month of Hardcore TV was on. <laughs>
what do you, what do you make of this as a, I think we've been calling it a trilogy for August. I think it's only up that we do that. I mean, it is a full story start to finish. What did you make of this for the first match to that kind of almost disappointing at times sequel and then just the climax of this at the end? What's your thoughts on the full thing? I think that uh, it ended any way that a great trilogy should do. It, it does a great job of reminding you why you loved it in the first place, but also leaves you thinking, oh, actually, do you know, I'd probably quite like to see a bit more of this now that it's finished. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way they handled it was very, very good. The, the match itself was, uh, was, was excellent, as, as all of them have been, even though we've critiqued the second one. Um, I thought that the introduction of it being two out of three falls was really welcome because that gave it a different pace. Um, yeah. And it, all, it, it almost felt like you were getting three extra matches from 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 these exactly. two guys who who we know are going elsewhere, and we won't, we won't get one out of them after this. So it was a really a really nice send off. And Joey Styles, who has done as you said, has done an excellent job throughout, really pushed that point home of it being uh, emotional for the for the people in attendance and also for uh, the guys the guys involved. And you really did get that impression, especially with the with the promos at the end. Yeah. Um, I said I said earlier that I thought that Eddie was was sort of pipping. Dean to the post as being as my favourite in the feud, but I thought that actually um, Malenko's promo at the end was fantastic. I mean, bearing in mind the guy never has the microphone. There are, there exactly. are certain, yeah, there are certain promos that sometimes they blur the lines of whether you think it's been written for, by somebody else for the, 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 the guy in the ring or whether they're um, sort of shooting from the, from the hip, as it were. This is one of those promos where you could definitely tell it was all his words and he, he didn't have a script. He, he, he was speaking from the heart. And that's that's uh, that's great. For, so the, the emotional investment that, that you put into it as a fan is rewarded by the two guys in the ring who are clearly, well, I say clearly, I'm going to take that back. I'm going to say, hopefully, going on to bigger and better things. Um, but this will be looked on as a classic feud for years and years to come because it's going to introduce the world to uh, a different platform of wrestling and a different style of wrestling. Um, and when you, like, we, again, we touched on it earlier, but when you put it amidst all the crazy, zany, wild action going <laughs> on around it, it's like a, 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 a shining, a shining light in, in, in a pitch of darkness. And that's not to say that the rest of the, the show is bad, but it really has, uh, it's, it's really been a fantastic feud and I will, I will miss it. But as you say, it's been quite nicely wrapped up within the month of August. So, um, I'll be really interested to see how these guys get on at, at WCW and, and, and how they can transfer that talent that they both clearly ooze. Um, and possess into into that very different environment. Exactly, and I mean, I think it, uh, we've we've just kind of almost kind of spudged emotions at this. I mean, this month, whether it's the character's heel turn or the the Eddie the Eddie Dean. I, I mean, I said it, but you can't really deny that this is a classic a classic story between two guys that. That just, they're doing it for the right reasons. You, you never get the feeling with these two that they're there for a paycheck. You never get the feeling that they're just kind of citing words to get a reaction and then disappearing without ever meaning a word there. And as you say, it is just something that we really, really hope that they're on to bigger and better things. I mean, looking back to last year, we've seen, um, we've seen the, the tag team of Art Bar and Eddie Guerrero and the two of them stood out. And obviously Art's no longer with us. We just see it as Eddie and he's carried that on. He's never, He's never forgotten his roots. He did go on to bigger and better things and he got into North America. This crowd has just taken them to their, taken them to his heart and I think it's, it's certainly replicated. We added back to them as well. And as you say that, that bit at the end with Dean Malenko, whether it was, whether it was scripted or not, I certainly don't think is ever in doubt, but I would even doubt whether it was even, 
kind of plan to start with it. He would talk at the end, I think that's something that, mm. that certainly the emotion I think is maybe get the better of Dean Malenko at the end and it, you can tell it's just absolutely for the heart and he just takes that that mic and as we say there is definitely some kind of smart fans in this Philly crowd and they did almost need to be hushed at one point but all Malenko needed to do was raise that hand and yeah. some of the faithful at the, the front row just saying shut the fuck up and let this man talk and it happened and yeah, it was just uh that's true just, respect, isn't it? All it takes exactly. is to silence an entire arena. And yeah, it's not the biggest arena you could ever go to, but those people were making a lot of noise. Well, that's, and, uh, I mean, you try, you try doing that in the subway, you try doing that in the bus the next time you're on it. It's not <laughs> the biggest arena, but you raise a hand and see if you get silenced. And it, it, it's just an apt tribute to the, to the just glorious work that these two have been, been doing. And I mean, you said it there the now, Tom. I mean, I think we'll just come out to the last discussion point of the the month, which is really just ECW in general. We heard in the news, Eddie and Eddie and Dean pretty much seem to be at, at Atlanta with a bullet. We're then talking about Benoit, obviously injury permitting that he's picked up in Japan. He's likely to be away as well. We've just kind of seen them over the, the last couple of months with ourselves and Kieran as well. It, it's been a phenomenal month for, for these guys that are talking about Al Snow, maybe to a lesser extent, as, as we said in the news, they've been seen really from February time and, and ECW, especially well, for a TV audience anyway. He's been doing a lot of stuff in Smoky Mountain, but probably at least an early contender for match of the year that he had at the start of the, the year as well. And I think that was actually going back to a January live show that Al Snow had that. I mean, what do you see, what do you see Thomas being left here at, at ECW with these guys going away? Where do you see ECW moving on for this? I mean, we've obviously had the stuff earlier in the year with Shane Douglas. Now we seem to be losing Dean and Eddie. We've got potentially Crispin Wagon away. There's rumblings, as I say, about Al Snow, even Scorpio. I mean, what do you see as being left at this foundation in Philly? Well, it, it is a concern, um, and it appears that the, the the faithfuls of ECW seem to be the people that are constantly relied upon. And, and I've, I have a horrible feeling that we're going to see Dream and Raven a few more times before all is said and done. Um, and I, I, I have, I do have concerns. I really do because it's really unfortunate. Um, it's like any good um, professional sports team uh, that are in one of the lesser leagues when one of their players is, is man of the match every time. Uh, they play, eventually they're going to get signed to a bigger club and the, comp- the club have to deal with it, the, 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 the hole is left in. And I don't know, they, they have an option here. They, they can either say, OK, let's just go back to the extreme, riotous, crazy stuff that we do um, and stick to what we're good at, or do we go and search the indies and, and go to a few other promotions and try and get a few people over that we think have got that, got that, that sort of side to them that people will say, um, they're bringing us what we can't now have from Eddie and Dean. However, my concern with that would be they're not going to be any, anywhere near as talented, and it could make people realise, God, look at look at the hole these guys actually left when they leave. Now, I, I, another thing to consider is that this is a um, this has been a relatively short feud, um, but it's something that's captivated a lot of people. And I don't yeah. necessarily I don't necessarily think that people will think, well, now they're gone, who's going to give us that type of match? So I think probably if I was booking it and I was running the company, I would sort of try and pave over it and just say, look, actually, we have got some other guys here um, that we can just mix things up a bit with. And rather than having, you know, Raven's flock against Dreamer's flock, break the whole lot up and, and, and almost almost go back to the drawing board if you need to. Um, because, as you say, guys like Too Cold, if, if he's to go, 
um, and, you know, the other people that you've talked about, there is going to be a big hole left. Um, so they need to do something, in my opinion. Well, that's I mean, we, we spoke about it with Shane Douglas at the time, and I think that was seen as a big thing with him being that franchise and embracing that that persona, being the champion, having the long reign, basically christening and baptising ECW as extreme back in August the last year. I mean, we're looking at one man at that point. Now we're talking three with uh, the leftover of that triple threat and Dean mm. and Chris Benoit. We've got Eddie that's come in and, God, he's just set Philadelphia on fire the way he's come in. He can only come in what started the year. A couple of good runs with that TV title, the matches with Malenko, and he's away at the at the drop of that. I mean, you brought up a very, very good point with the the, the kind of moving on in the, the, the transition phase when it's kind of talking about, uh, say, like an MVP come draft time. You're then kind of losing your, your MVP for, for last year and you're having to kind of pretty much start at square one, as you say. But is it a case where you're losing your star players, you're losing them in the big leagues as, as you're talking and, and WCW, especially with them coming into that, that live TV that they're going to be coming into in the next couple of weeks in September? The fans that lose the MVP and the big stars for these, these big teams is, as we're seeing here, it's very rare that you're going to see the fans flocking to go with the star players. They're going to stay. And Philadelphia is one of those places where they've thanked Teddy and Dean for all that they've done, but it's not as if they're going to say, right, that's it. Shut the doors. We're going to Atlanta. We're going to follow Eddie and Dean on their journey. They're going to be there in Philly. They're going to be there next month. They're going to be there hopefully come November, to, November to remember and all through 96, 7, 8, 9 onwards. It's, it's something that I think they, they need to kind of take that step back. I mean, there's still definitely some diamonds in the rough here. How much did we talk about Cactus Jack in the middle of this show? We've got the promos that he can cut. You've got Tommy Dreamer there who's brought up in NECW. The fans gave him a bit of a rocky start, but he's getting somewhere. We've still got this Raven situation where almost every month we seem to be kind of just carving out another few notches in his persona. And as you say, there is a lot of stuff where we're seeing multi-man matches, and it is maybe just kind of maybe having to cut the cut the ties a bit there, get some kind of separate feuds coming out of that. I mean, we've seen it this month with Mikey Whipwreck, just have a battle royal. You've got a new star coming out of that. He's in tag yeah. titles and um, he's in title shots. I mean, Mikey Whipwreck could be a triple crown winner for all we, yeah, for all we know he's he's done to it the three. So that's you, often all it takes. But yeah, that's often all it takes is just that, that little spark to, um, to make a star. And whether he'll be a short-term star or, or yeah. one that shines for a long time is, is, is almost dictated by how the fans react to it. Exactly. Um, and that's I, the rush you're taking. And... Yeah, I think another thing I just thought of is that I think the company do miss Taz. I think that when, when, he, when they were pushing him with his new angle, I thought he was the hottest thing going. I and mean, when we talked about him last month, he was, uh, he was great. I, I, every, anytime he was on, in the ring, it was, uh, really captivating to watch. And that's such an unfortunate injury for him. Um, so you, you hope that, you know, on his, on his comeback, he, he, you know, goes, gets straight back to where he left off. Um, but, and I do, I do have concerns for, for Cactus because the guy is far too good, um, to be being ignored by, uh, the big boys. And exactly. It, it's a real, it's a real shame because, it's it's the curse of being the lesser promotion because you're mm-hmm. almost the, you're almost the training ground for the for the guys that pay the big bucks because no matter how good you are 
as soon as anyone is deemed as being good enough, they, they get taken away from you. And it must be incredibly frustrating to run a company like that. Because um, if you do the best job possible, you, you lose out. So, yeah, very frustrating. Running it, supporting it. It's just it's one of those things when you're in a minor league, it's like, do you go to the... The expense they don't have a Vince McMahon, they don't have a billion all a billionaire Ted in the the background. They pretty much get Paul E, Todd Gordon, and a lot of a lot of kind of trials and tribulations have been their uncontracted promotion. I mean, look at Smoky Mountain at the minute; it's kind of struggling finance wise. If we have to believe the the rumours, is that going to be the way ECW or can they kind of be like that Phoenix and rise for the the Ashes? It's certainly going to be something we'll be looking at in the next few months. We've got Taz, we've got Cactus. If all goes according to plan for, for Mrs. Whiprex baby boy, then we might even have a, an unlikely champion in the next few months, which some would say is maybe going to still be a promotion from what we've got at the minute in the Sandman, but it's definitely might be a dark time, but as they say, the, the night's darkest before the dawn, and hopefully best of luck to, to Eddie and Dean and their new move with Chris Benoit and Al Snow, and say we've got Scorpio, Taz, Cactus, it's certainly not the, the end we don't think for ECW, but that will pretty much bring us to a, to a wrap up for this month's ECW show. Tom, thank you very much for your contributions as always. It's been a pleasure. And you are on Twitter, yes? I am on Twitter indeed. It's Mark Out Martin, spelt with a Y. With a Y at the end. And we do also need to have a, a long overdue shout out to Kieran Mitchell as well. It's Jotin Trash six 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 on Twitter as well. Unfortunately, we seem to have lost Kieran towards the end of the show. There are rumours rumbling that there has been a knock at his door from Big Val looking to go in a night in the town, but those rumours as yet remain unconfirmed. I, I can um, confirm he's been signed by WCW in the time we did this podcast. Well, they uh, do need the talent. They do need the talent. That's another yeah. one we've lost. I'm afraid, Tom, but. Hopefully we can we can bounce back for that in September. And as you heard there, we do also need to to give a shout out to the to the president of Funk U, Bobby Bamba. Bob, thanks again for your trip to Japan at the start of the show. No problem. I I don't think I could have done the show without my my voice is a bit knackered, a bit hoarse. Um, and you're now drunk on wine gums. Well, that's true. That's true. You may have heard me scoffing on those during the opening segment. Um, but yes, yes. Thank you, thank you very much, Del. Thank you for well, I say filling in. It's really mostly your show now. Um, but yeah, but, but we're going to have a uh, a little bit of an audio clip to finish, which is a nice. Uh, well, I won't really introduce it. I'll just say, hang around after Dell's kind of uh, outro, if you like. Uh, there'll be a special little bonus clip at the end. And there is a tease for you and a half, ladies and gentlemen. So I've been Del Muir. That's been Tom Martin, Kieran Mitchell, and Bobby Bamba. Do check out the the website wrestling20yrs.com, iTunes search wrestling20yrs. Or also get the RSS feed or anywhere else you do pick up podcasts online. Go to the website there for the blog. Go to Facebook. Give us a like. Go to Twitter. Give us a follow. And until the next time, goodbye. You think head to head is the final fatal error that's going to do WCW in? <laughs> I think it's more indicative of the front office politics that are employed by everybody in Atlanta and WWF. To be honest with you, I. I I think it's just, I, I think it's, I, honestly, I think Ted Turner called their bluff, and I, I, I think they're going to die. I, I think he, Eric Bishop went in there and went, yeah, you know, Ted, we did 1.9. <laughs> yeah, you know that ECW, they can't do shit, and Jim Crockett went out of business, member. That's a jerk up you bought it from, and, you know, I just had my hair today, Ted, and I can really do some things with the Atlanta Hawks and everything, and, you know, give me a couple of <laughs> uh, what, Ted? Oh, Vincent, a 3.9?
Oh, he's on Monday nights on National and we're not. But you know what? Oh, uh, yeah, we can do Monday nights, but you'll never give us Monday nights. Oh, you will. <laughs> and, then, and then you know what happened? He went back to his booking committee, and here's what happened. Hogan sat there and went, who do I beat on Monday night? <laughs> Kevin sat there and watched, and Ric Flair said, let's turn Alex right heel so I can get laid by 19-year-olds. <laughs> And not one person sat there and said, Holy shit, are we going to get our asses kicked? <laughs> Except for Bischoff, who's probably right now sending out his resume to every production studio in California. <laughs> and if I were him, I'd do it fast. I think they are going to get their asses so fucking royally kicked, they ain't going to know what hit them. And not because they can't go head to head with this. And not because, they, not because they can't, if they would pool their resources, they can't give it a good try. And not because if they really wanted to, they couldn't design everything from new graphics things to new announcers to, 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 to a different format to everything. I think they can. I just think they're too concerned with their own personal business. One guy just wants to beat everybody that's over six foot five. One guy, one guy in the committee wants to sit there. One guy wants to sit there and criticize everybody else. And one guy just wants to get laid because he's 46 years old. <laughs> if, they, if they get their shit together, they might have a shot, but they don't. And they never will because they're tolerated that way. Bischoff should go in there and fire everybody. Who should fire himself? But that's the only chance they have. I think head to head, I think they're going to get massacred. I think they're going to be so royal. They're, I mean, they're they going to get stomped so fucking bad they know what hit them. I think Ted's going to sit there and went, okay, I gave you a chance. Here's what we're going to do. Georgia Chan we're going to keep the WCW name and it's going to be like the old Georgia Championship Wrestling. He's going to bring Ole Anderson back as the booker. They're going to take a whole bunch of guys out of Jody Hamilton school and they'll keep staying or one other guy at over 100 grand a year and everybody else is going to be working for 75 bucks a night. And they'll do a couple TV tapings a week and they'll have Thunder and Lightning as their tag team champions. And they truly won't give a shit because they'll be on at 6.05 on Saturday nights for one hour and they'll get and they'll, and they'll get a decent little rating for the 10 grand it's going to cost them to, to produce a show at a local venue in Atlanta when he gives away free tickets. That's what it's going to end up being. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it'll be a success. I just don't see it.